everybody. Welcome to Dead Cat. Tom Dotan here, joined by E Newcomer. I just wrote E Newcomer in my intro. Uh, Eric Newcomer. We got a very exciting episode today. Joining us today is Mark Bergen, reporter at Bloomberg and author of the new book, Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Did you the most hyped, like, hyped book on this podcast. I feel chaotic like Rise to World Domination. Like, how much pressure was there from the publisher to really pump up, you know, like the subtitle for a book that's about an internet company? The original one, all right, the original one out there, uh, I'll give you the inside, was um, how YouTube took over the world, conquered the world, I think. Okay. And then there was some concern that that would be like a little, like, I mean, I am, I'm super, I do want people who... It makes it seem too intentional, right? Like, the like yeah, chaotic sort of it made it seem like... It, it was like, how they did it, which is like, you know, also true, like people, I think hopefully people that are like super into, there are a podcast. lot of YouTube fans, yeah. people that like love the company and like think they're the best thing would also be interested in the book. But, but I also, you know, I didn't want people to say like, oh, is this just a, uh, I think there was some expectation that maybe that it, it right. would Right, there read. are those business books that are more just yeah. like, you know, yeah. the rise to success and how you can yeah, also yeah, be successful yeah. if you follow the YouTube path. Where so this I, is yes. more like this is the site that has also been a platform for some of the worst. So we speech. wanted some chaos in there, right? Right, and it was wild, part of the wild rides. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Mark has been covering Google for years at Bloomberg. Uh, how close were you to newcomer in the office? This is a question <laughs> I now ask people. Oh yeah, that no, this with is them. good. This is great. I was certainly within earshot. We <laughs> were, That's the whole like, floor, right? We weren't directly. Who was? Us. We yeah, were sort yeah. of like uh, diagonal. Yeah, and okay. we would often. I feel like I I miss turning and my I feel like I can just do it in like an abrupt right turn right Eric and Eric yeah. was like one of the that like loved to talk <laughs> right when, when you're on the phone people. when you're trying to get when you're well, on it's like postmortems or I, I was always looking for office drama yeah you just know. like I mean I would be like I would often turn to him and be like that sounds like a really good call right, right. like one of the one <laughs> of the meetings yeah. there's, there's no one on the other side <laughs> uh, and I feel like we often I often I was always trying to get Eric to in this he understandably like sometimes past, I was just like, maps is like the biggest oh story. Oh my god! Ooh, yeah, I feel like yeah. that was a game of Bloomberg where every reporter <laughs> had like something on their beat that they thought was the most yeah, important thing in the world, and you have to make some calculation. Like, even if I deliver on this, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. What's in it for me? But Mark has been covering Google for forever, and 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 I think you've been one of the most kind of aggressive reporters in getting inside, you know, the corporate drama there, and then now more specifically YouTube. And I, so, which I'm assuming is what led into your desire to write this book, right? I mean, like what, you know, you kind of in your, is it in your intro, like author intro, you sort of say like, no one's really done the YouTube book, right? No one's really taking the time to explain the origins of the company and it's, you know, chaotic world rise domination. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm like an aspire, like I consider myself a Google criminologist and that's like my favorite thing to do. And, and maybe uh, it's not like a super useful skill. But like, you know, the Google is like a very powerful organization. I feel like I'm more interested in like how it like works and, and doesn't work and the sort of. And anyway, so, yes, that was, you know, I came in covering in 2013 and YouTube was very much a Hollywood story. Right. So I worked for I was back at Recode and like Peter Kafka's phenomenal media reporter, like got the like YouTube, that side of the YouTube and the streaming. Uh, and it's like uh, when it, they butted Hollywood uh, and it wasn't really like a it wasn't like the platform content moderation story wasn't really there, right? No one was paying attention to it in both, both us in the press and the company itself. Uh, and then it was after 2017, the series of, you know, you know crazies and, and advertising breakouts and all the stuff that took a focal point of the book. Uh, when I started to dig in, one key moment was like a former YouTube person was like, you really, 
in order to understand this, you have to go back to the Viacom lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And like to, that's like where YouTube people cut their teeth on that. And like so much of the company, in order to understand a company, you have to go back to that. It's sort of like in order to understand Google, you have to go to Burning Man. I mean, the book starts off with like a shooting. You know, it is a very dramatic opening and I think captures like the real world dark sort of stakes for the company and sort of how much tearing down you know, the sort of elite guardians of information flow has sort of changed the world. And so I I think the book is very smart in sort of setting that up as the stakes. And that's obviously a theme we care a lot about. So I wanted to get that in the reader's ear. But then before we get to that, I think the other thing that is very clear from the start of the book is that YouTube is this like super important company that I think that almost because it was buried in Google and Alphabet and all this, it hasn't gotten the heat that Facebook has gotten. And you do a good job. And I can you rattle off like how big is YouTube and like the sense that YouTube is like actually much more important to the culture than people necessarily appreciate if they're not a young person sort of, I mean, I'm on it all the time, but I, I still feel like somehow the media hasn't really communicated how big it is relative to Facebook. To give a sense of size, there was a Pew study. Was it last week, two weeks ago? Tom, mm-hmm. it was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, like some like Pew polled teens in 2014, and for some reason they didn't ask them about YouTube. But like you know, it was like what, how often, what do you, what sites do you, what social media sites do you visit? And with YouTube was 95 percent said like, and then like it, it was, was above the TikTok, of, it was above Instagram, yeah, well above it TikTok. Was, there are other yeah. like, and I think the pro, like part of the issue that like YouTube. To answer your question about why it doesn't get as much scrutiny is because it sits in this like weird nether region where it's like sort of streaming, but not. It's sort of social media, but not. Like some of it is structural where like, you know, our desk at like Bloomberg and other publications like the Google Reporter covers YouTube. Um, and the Google Reporter is, you know, covering like self-driving cars and like uh, antitrust and everything. And then YouTube is just like tucked in. Right well, Cynic could say Google is professional at distracting people. It's like... That, yes, also very true. They're very, they're very good. They they don't do like the, you don't see like YouTube and Google executives like fighting on Twitter, <laughs> like Facebook. And I think that's like, they're very, and they just like their PR team often doesn't respond or responds late. And I think that's an intentional strategy. Some of it is like, they're just a little bit, they're like, cautious like sort of uh, google's like become a very conservative company and like doesn't move quickly on on stuff uh but because of that they just avoided scrutiny uh you know the other thing that i have with the book is like uh susan wojcicki's never been testified before congress part of that was that like people in congress don't know who she is and that's like right. kind of an intentional strategy the other part of it is that like people in congress they're old they use YouTube, like majority of people use YouTube, which is like, it helps me like fix my sink, right? And like, there is YouTube, we have to like, like it, it is it's like, for majority of people, it's a utility. Um, it's an idle entertainment and like, but but it, they kind of use it like Google search. Uh, I think Facebook and Instagram, uh, TikTok and Twitter are a bit more like Facebook in particular, like people have like the sort of weird guilty feelings about, you know, you t- at least I'm like just talking about my friends, right? YouTube like, is more enjoyable than Facebook. <laughs> for sure. Like, no one, people are like, ah, I wish I wouldn't you'd post on Instagram. I'm so not much. watching YouTubes to be like jealous of someone totally. or to stalk yeah, yeah. someone or like, I feel like so many of the main use cases of I mean, the, Facebook, that does right. exist. YouTube is everything. So that there there are parts of YouTube and, and people who like watch re- like religiously and have parasocial relationships and like these strong ties, right? But, but generally, like most people, 
Like they don't have the feeling like Instagram, but you know, I talked to so many friends like, I wish I didn't look at Instagram so much. Like no one says that about YouTube really. Well, that's what's kind of interesting about, you know, you mentioned this Pew study that didn't even ask teens in 2014 yeah, uh, yeah. whether they, you, it, which in one sense you could almost argue, well, YouTube isn't really a social networks in the more, the most pure sense. So maybe yeah. it didn't make sense to put it on the survey back then, but like clearly they, that is wrong. It, it very much is a social network. I was going to say 2014 is also kind of a pivotal year for YouTube, which we can get to later in the conversation. But That's yes, you. at this point, it's undeniable that YouTube sits very much in the same kind of strata as all of these social networks become more video oriented, TikTok being the most obvious example, like, yes, it needs to be put in there. And when you do it, it is this behemoth dwarfing everything else by, you know, significant orders. Uh, the American Pediatric Association put in a big report on media in 2015, 2016, then uh, digital media. They looked just at like kids in media, didn't look at YouTube at all. And I remember talking to an author, it's like, this total blind spot. And it's been a blind spot in, in like research and in, in academia along with journalism. And partly it's like YouTube, another like YouTube is really does not share data. Like it just, and, and they don't have, there's no crowd tangle for YouTube, right? And so go back to your question, Eric. Like I don't, the stat they always, you know, it's the most recent one. I'm sure it's like maybe 600 now, but I think it's like 500 hours up, uploaded every minute, which is mind boggling. YouTube is leaning into podcasting more. Like I don't like I don't know if you've seen this, but like podcasts <laughs> like yours, yeah. the, an ability. And by like, the time this podcast comes out, I will have had a, a story uh, oh, okay. about well, that great. exact well, then, topic. Yeah. yeah, but like yeah. That I'm very is, interested like, in that. They're like like one click, like be able to upload your podcast as a video. It's just like you know, podcasts are long, right? Like that's just so much more content. Uh, the great anecdote I from the book, and I hope people read it. And I'll, is like one guy comes in in an engineering team and realizes like that YouTube stuff is. Like a, or had like a private setting where you could like set, well, upload video and put on private so no one can see it unless they have the link, right? And he's like, uh, companies were just uploading security cam footage. Oh my God. And just like terabytes of this stuff, right? And then finally YouTube cracked down on it. But it's just like that, yeah, the fact that they just, on they're sitting on their servers and, and like they had enough money to sort of ignore this, but like right. companies would upload just security cam. Can you still do that? Or? Uh, I don't know. I, I was told that, that they, I mean, like that's also useful for Google as a data company and like video data. Yeah, just because like, you with, said it's a private doesn't mean it's going to be walled off from anything yeah, else. Yeah, I don't just, know the details there, but I imagine YouTube's able to like crunch that in their sure, you know, neural sure. network magic. Can, right? can I go, before we get into all the stuff that you get into in the book, on a personal level, because we're all around the same age-ish. And, and, and I, I'm pretty, I'm ancient. I'm older than I look. But well, ahead. you look very young in your author photo. Actually, I take that back. You look kind of craggy and like a kind of a Western <laughs> author. It's an excellent <laughs> author photo. Um, I love it. And the hair, I don't know if it's enhanced, but it's spectacular. But no, we're, we're all around the same age. And, and I would not like, enhanced. Get that on the record. <laughs> uh, both of you guys, like what are your first memories of YouTube? Like when it first crossed your radar as a site? Because I remember very distinctly mine. And I'm, and I'm curious with you guys. I'll, I'll, I'll start. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, it was when I was in college and like you mentioned in your book, there was a very kind of scattershot in, uh, environment of video serving sites out there. Uh, E-Bombs yeah. World, MySpace yeah. was still kind of around. There yeah, were mega big, uploads. Big boys or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then at some point, people were telling me, because Arrested Development was still a big show back then. And yeah. they were like, oh, there's all these episodes are all up on a site. And they're like, it's, it's on YouTube. And I'm like, YouTube? Mm-hmm. 
like the band like why would they be hosting episodes of arrested development like no youtube it is like it's the site that you can watch videos on and i mean i was a little bit late to the game i think this was like 2007 but yeah it was and it was a professional video which we can talk you know i mean like from a media company so that's you know it it figures also into the youtube story but yeah with you guys do you have a memory of when youtube first you know became something i mean i'm primed by the book because this is the one you talk about but i do remember the lazy sunday video from snl being so key and then also that it eventually like went away and it felt like so stupid because that was like i was watching it over and over again it was probably one of my most definitive snl branding moments of all time like the idea that they would be shy about it was was insane i also thought it was amusing in the book just that you talk about sort of youtube reaching out to nbc and being like if you have a problem with this like we can take it down and it's just sort of like a lot of the bullshit well to be clear that was that was like uh micah shaper who was uh, akiba uh his brothers in lonely islands oh interesting yeah was micah shaper also was he at snapchat for a while was he a security guy okay yeah i've talked to him before nice guy and a great sort of character from YouTube's early years, uh, both both as like a, a book character, but also I think like really, you know, give Micah credit for like inventing a lot of like the early content moderation rules on the internet that uh, that didn't actually exist back then. Uh, but sorry, uh, to answer your question, Tom, yeah. there's like some viral video about shoes. Do you remember this? It's like one of those like... Let's get some shoes? Yeah. Yeah, it was I remember like, that one. It's the same era. Like my wife is like really into this. We watched this old one, a similar one that's like the um, not now, bro, I'm in the fucking zone. Do you remember this guy? Like, these ones no, that like don't really that hold up. It's like a lot of a lot of, like a lot of early YouTube like doesn't really hold up. No, right? especially the stuff we thought was funny in college. Yeah, yeah. I mean Shane Dawson, we can get into. But yeah, so uh, I mean, I I'm also I you know graduated in 2007, um, and I think like, I when I was talking, one of my the most fun reporting this was like talking to the early YouTubers who were my age, mm-hmm. and like Freddie Wong is a character in the book and then great, and he's like, you know, this like YouTube was birthed when he was in college and a film student, and like. A lot of like the early YouTubers were around that age, like and like the I think Hank and John Green are a little bit older, but yeah, and that was like it was still. Uh, I think there's a really interesting divide, and and YouTubers are more eloquent of this than I am. But like between people who grew up watching TV, and then like YouTube was this sort of rebellious thing, and then like the generation like Logan Paul and like Gen Z that like grew up on YouTube, like Mr. Beast, right? Like didn't watch Mr. Beast doesn't watch TV. Right. Like, I mean, one thing that strikes me. And I think this is a sort of a shared thread among a lot of these tech companies where an issue that things that become big issues for them over time, they were like extremely aware of early, right? Like the copyright thing, like basically growing on the back of copyright. The fact, which I didn't know at all until I read the book, was just the idea that they were trying to make it almost like a dating site and running like Craigslist ads to get women on. They were like very aware of the porn problem. Like these companies pretend like, oh yeah, we're trying our best. But like the people who have been there the longest understand that like the issues are like core, like core levers of how they build it in the first place. It's often like, oh yeah, you big a you build a big tech problem product and you have all these problems. But really it's like, no, you rode the things that people are angry about and now are trying to like clean it up later, right? Or The yeah. dating site thing is also hilarious to me. I had never heard that before, but you write in the book that it was kind of a riff on hot or not. Tune in, hook up. Yeah, and, and which again, with like Facebook, Face Mash being the inspiration for it, it just seems like in the early 2000s, like the horizon of what the internet could be, that was where it was. It was like, oh, this could be a way that we could like decide whether or not someone is fuckable. The founders were uh, under under 30, which is something to 
Like, I mean, I guess that they were like kind of close to 30. You called so them the easy. PayPal B team, which I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, that was not my term, but uh, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do like, I think, yeah, we kind of happy to get into to the, the, like the whole founders and the founding story, which I didn't, there's a lot there. We've got Chad Hurley and Steve Chen. Uh, they're, they're two of the key players, right? Yeah. The third, the third one, Jim had like left before Google. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, a rare case of a internet startup, huge success story that did not involve a lawsuit from among the founders, right? Doesn't seem like anyone was claiming credit that they didn't get. There's some, there was some controversy about it afterwards about like the, the, the idea, but yeah, but, but like relatively uncool and like, the guy still made like 300, the one who left still made like 300 yeah, million yeah, off yeah. of it or something. And, I mean, he's like reappeared in, in, is that in the really right? interesting ways. Like hmm. he, you know, we're famous. My favorite one is like when you remember when Google Plus was a big thing, like if you Google forced, you had, in order to comment on YouTube, you had to use a Google Plus account. And like Chabad posted the first ever YouTube video and goes back and like, I think hmm. the verbatim quote is like, why the fuck do we need a Google Plus account? So, <laughs> so he's like, re- and then he reappeared recently when they like took away the dislike count. I'm like hmm. thumbs, right? Like, on, on on YouTube, he was against it, or what? He was very much against it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it, it to me like YouTube is. I, I I hope I captured this in the book, and it was a hard, it was a challenge in reporting. Like YouTube's not not Facebook, not Twitter. There's no Jack. There's no Zuckerberg. Not Snapchat, right? There's no like founder who's been there. I mean, like Jack has more or less been there the entire time, right? right? Like, and he like the founders in YouTube were like interesting characters, but like. And then I think there's a lot there about like the why they, you know, Steve, Steve Chad don't help issues. Like Chad like ran into like the, the wall of sort of the Google Borg. They left early on. And then like the second CEO, which I'd love to talk to about actually, if you guys are interested in that, how like Salar was like kind of a placeholder. Uh, and so like in YouTube sort of like these, these executives are stewards more than many. Right. And, found, and even like Chad and Steve were like... And Susan Wojcicki, who obviously runs it now, I mean, yeah. gets like the key intuitions wrong in the beginning. She was sort of like, I mean, I don't know if you'd say it quite that, but I mean, she was like saying, oh, we need to sign big deals. And like, it wasn't focusing on sort of the user generated content, right? She was building Google Video. This is for Google Video, yeah. When, of the acquisition. Yeah, I think the, the calculus, which like to, like to her, like at the time, that was sort of like, it seemed like a smart calculus, right? Like, oh, we need premium stuff. But it was wrong. I mean, it was, be, I mean. Yeah, but Google also, YouTube also let, like kept trying to do that for the next six right. years. <laughs> it wasn't until like, to Tom's point, it wasn't until 2014 where they were like, oh, these like big influential stars in our platform might be like where we have commercial success. Like, right. they, you know, the first Tom covered like you know the whole mcn era was all about like that first funded originals was like we're gonna get we're gonna turn Shaq and madonna and tony hawk into youtubers we mentioned kind of the media companies and their very tenuous relationship with youtube uh and and you brought up the viacom lawsuit why don't you explain the viacom lawsuit and you know what it meant and its role in kind of the development of the platform viacom comes out and sues google uh, in March of 2007, which is five months after the YouTube acquisition, um, there's some reporting in the book. People should check out. They understood that, like, I think Google walked in initially bought with the acquisition. Certainly didn't see this coming, but like, kind of knew something was going to happen, and and but just assumed that they were going to have an uh, Inca deal with Viacom. Part of the reason that, that Google won the Viacom case is because Google has really good lawyers and had a lot of money, and like searches are just this constant oil well that uh, gives them a lot of money. But the other part is like that they, they, they like there was. Uh, you know, they found that Viacom employees, like uh, CBS, I think, like was secret, like using uh, different handles to upload the contents themselves. 
the you know, like Paramount Classic. In the lawsuit by comes like YouTube needs to take us down. This is pirated material. YouTube finds out it's actually like the marketing team for CBS had uploaded the <laughs> clip. And so YouTube's defense is like, we can't, according to the DMCA, like we can't identify who has the copy, who holds the copyright for material. Huh. And like no one can, right? And they have this like three video tests, which I talk about in the book. It's like they, there was this clip from a Stephen Colbert, uh, I think a Fox News clip, and then like one from a YouTuber. And they're like, which one do you take? Which one like is copyrighted? And like everyone points to the YouTubers and one like, that's totally fine. But it turns out the other two were like, one was like a fair use. And so it was fine. One was the company that uploaded it, like Comedy Central had uploaded it. And the third one was the YouTuber who actually had a deal with Carson Daly. And so that one was copyrighted material, right? So everyone got the answer wrong. Hmm. And this like helped YouTube win the case. You, I look, go look at MTV now. I, I'm pretty sure I don't know the name of the show, but like the most popular, like, or the show on MTV is like basically just all real, like a show that reviews like viral YouTube video clips. I think. Yeah, exactly. A, a perfect example. Uh, the wheel is how Viacom uh, certainly lost. And the you know, Viacom went out and bought VidCon, and like they they clearly like lost that. I mean, they, they they've lost a lot of things. They lost a lot of things, but but this was a but at the time, like I you know it was. There's a lot of uncertainty about YouTube, about the case, whether it's like, certainly the case went a different direction. YouTube could have gone direction. There was, I don't know. But I mean, it was how, good for the world that YouTube won, right? I mean, I don't know. Most consumers would prefer. You, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, it provided I mean, a centrality to it. I mean, if you think about what internet video was prior to YouTube, especially as far as the media companies were concerned, you'd have to go to their websites. You'd have to go to like yeah. NBC.com slash video slash you know, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno.html. I mean, it was a fucking mess. The video yeah, players yeah. weren't very good. There was obviously no social element to it. There was no virality to it. Um, it was the most anti-consumer possibility you could imagine, right. which of course is very Hollywood, right? I mean, which like it's yeah. in with yeah. YouTube being like a search tool fundamentally. It's like, okay, you can find yeah. a ton of videos. I think the I other think- thing that was interesting in terms of technology that made YouTube successful relative to some of these other players was just the idea that it was so much easier to embed sort of the Flash YouTube player in another site, which meant that it could go viral on MySpace. It was just much more portable. Oh my God, the the early, yeah, I, I guess uh, how much of YouTube success was based on MySpace, which was really fascinating to me to Sorry, You're saying a huge percent, or right? I don't like that. Early on, it like YouTube just like ruined MySpace virality. Like they just like right. would like post like YouTube videos in the MySpace comments, and that was how they like drove. Yeah, and it's interesting again how it didn't. You know, like let's say Twitter, for example, there was a time where you could not embed tweets into Facebook posts, and there was like kind of strange non-compatible platform wars. Whereas it seems like YouTube, I could be wrong, but it almost never had that problem. And I think that, again, speaks to this idea that people don't think of YouTube as a social network or as a competitor. It's just like this utility. Exactly. Yeah. Which is also why people, I think, seem to be less worried about like regulating it and like the public backlash seems much lower. I mean, like YouTube has YouTube has been like the only social media platform that's really been right. Like FTC fined them in 2019 for children's privacy violation. So like it has been regulated. Sure. I mean, yes. it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. it's not a breakup. It's not Congress, but like, you know, it seemed like Congress isn't going to do anything. So, but that's the actually, and it's had like substantial impacts on their business and, and like how they 
how like children's media works on on YouTube. But I'm happy to talk about kids stuff too. It's like a central part of the book. Yeah, let's talk about YouTube kids. I remember that at the information was one of like the big stories that we broke in like 2014 or so. They were working on this YouTube kids app. And why don't you explain the origins of YouTube kids and why, like what was happening organically on the platform and why YouTube felt it needed to like step in and build something specific for it? Yeah, I mean, it was just an explosion of kids material. One, 2010, 2011, so we, we, this is, but then 2012 was when they switched to, to watch time. Uh, so they, they switched from like the key metric being views, uh, playbacks to how, how long people like the engagement. And that had a number of significant consequences. The central one being like YouTube's business really just like took off from there. And then like kids content took off there because like that stuff is engaging and like kids watch for a long time and the iPad just came out. Right. And like there's confluence of things that. And the other, the other main thing being that, like, we were talking about media companies being reluctant to go on YouTube, like kids media in particular was like super reluctant to go on YouTube, uh, in part because of, uh, the restrictions, right? COPPA, Children's Online Privacy uh, Protection yeah, Act. Privacy sure. Protection Act. Thank you. Yeah. So, and, and, and like Disney, for instance, like, um, I thought it was really, you probably know this, but I thought it was interesting. Like Disney was, uh, re- like when the YouTube kids app first came out. So YouTube, um, to answer your question, like, yes, there was this big, like toy unboxing became really popular. There's like a lot of videos for a lot. YouTube had operated with the, like the sites for like people 13 and over, like kids watch with adult supervision. Like that's just how we're going to operate. Cause it's like too legally tricky to try to do a kid's version. Uh, and then there just became this like amount of content that like sheer amount they couldn't ignore. And so there was a uh, Hunter walk, uh, was where he, he like, Kind of confusing. He was like the main PM for YouTube, but he left for health reasons, came back to work on this thing called YouTube for Good, which is like some amorphous sort of like googly 20% project. Uh, part of it was like, part of it was around like, we need to get YouTube in the schools, right? Like this was, there, there is, uh, and, and was at the time, like the Khan Academy, right? Like YouTube math lessons, like the Green Brother, like there was educational stuff on YouTube and it's more entertaining than school curriculum, right? Like there was a, a big blown opportunity there. That's a separate story, but uh, and that morphed into, okay, maybe we're just, we should just build an app for kids. Right. And and I got to imagine part of it is, you know, as a parent, it's very enticing to just be able to set up YouTube in front of your kid and just have them watch stuff for a while um, because you can put on Peppa Pig or some shit and, you know, it'll just recommend the next one and you can kind of go off and, and live your life. But it is always scary as a parent because... You never know if the recommendation algorithm is going to fuck everything up. And after you watch Peppa Pig, it recommends, you know, like videos of people in Texas, like exploding wild hogs. Can I share my favorite anecdote? Yeah, please. So like one of the rationale, like this, this debate about why YouTube Kids, so YouTube Kids was basically like, was not white labeled. Um, there, there was some sort of selection criteria, but it wasn't like a, we're going to pick 40 channels or 100 channels or something. Like. And and the rationale I think is is just, Google in general, that I thought Google operates. But the other one was like, oh, really popular video was like kids watching trains or planes take off or trains take off, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I don't know if your kids do this, but like, this is a popular thing. I, I do this, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but uh, kids like to watch this stuff. And it's, and it's the, this is like someone who's high up on YouTube was like, well, why would I restrict that? Like I'm not, that, is, that doesn't seem like a thing that I would, if I'm, if I'm actually going to pick a, like children's programming, I'm probably not going to think to like, just pick footage of trains uh, leaving the station. Right. But that's what kids want to watch. So like, why not put them in there? Right. 
And then the the class, like the predictable response for some people was like, that's literally going to lead to train wrecks, like literal train wrecks of children watching train wrecks. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I thought it was a great example. Way cooler. I mean, honestly, it's like if you really want to amp up the excitement here, it's like, yeah, it's fine when the plane lands. But what if it doesn't? Yeah, but wait, wait until it, wait until it wrecks. Yeah. Can you chart out how the, you like, discoverability on YouTube has evolved over time? Like, in the beginning, there was sort of this front page where people were trying to see what was cool and put it there. I assume, you know, we get more algorithmic. Now we have this sort of threat of TikTok. Like, what, this sort of human intervention on sort of what is really being thrust in front of people. How, how does YouTube's philosophy evolve over time? <laughs> Great question, Eric. This was one of the, I, I really, like, this is a part that I wanted to hopefully uh, capture in the book. And is that, like, YouTube was, there's sort of this, like, forgotten history and, like, alternative history in which, like, YouTube is um, basically, like, owns up to, like, oh, yeah, we're going to, like, curate this thing, right? Mm-hmm. As much as we can, like so that yeah, the, the early that's team, what and could think, have happened. It would have been within the sort of aligned with their principles that they were like, yeah, we're we're a media company picking what people should watch. So I think like early on they had this team, the community managers that like like they had manually picked slots in the homepage, um, which was like, and they were kind of creative, right? They like they did this thing where they rickrolled everybody, like, and they like found like um, Jack Conti, who's the, the the founder of Patreon, was like discovered on YouTube by by this team. So you probably know the Patreon story, right? He takes off on YouTube. And then like a few years later, he's like, look, the economics are like terrible for me. I'm going to start Patreon. Right. I mean, I think the, like the irony is that YouTube has since in the past few years, like with the, all the problems that we're familiar with, like kind of come back to like half measures on this stuff, right? Like, so they have like a new shelf. If you go up, it's like, you know, anytime there's a breaking news event or like they did this around COVID vaccines, it's like a shelf of videos from like established news organizations and health agencies, right? And like, I don't know how many people actually watch those videos but i do like i you know like there are a lot of people that log that don't log in you like visit a logged out homepage. i like to by the way every so often check out youtube's homepage under incognito browser it's just wild. to see what youtube is pushing hmm. like what it wants me to see yeah, it's, it's just a, mr beast it's a lot of mr really beast. interesting <laughs> oh that's God. fun yeah it's well i'm curious what you at one point there's a funny let's do it right now like, let's do it right now yeah uh, we should I, do I love love to. there's a okay there one point it was like um you know, this, this one of my favorite YouTubers is Matt Pat, who does Game Theorists. And he had like, this was, I think, 2015 when it was like Minecraft was at one point like half to 75% of YouTube. Oh, yeah. Homepage. Mr. Beast, Ed Sheeran, TikToks, yeah. people watch. That's brutal. Oh, my God. I, this is, I mean, this is, I think, to Eric, to answer your initial question about the size of YouTube, like it's just a, it's a repository for everything in the sense right. of like some of the most popular YouTube videos now are like, TikTok reaction clips, right. Like. right, right. And I actually want to talk about TikTok in a second, but oh, yeah, sure, sure. I'm seeing other stuff here, you know, redacted affidavit for search at Trump's Mar-a-Lago, some CBS News. They're trying to have some some real news vegetables. Wait, can I steer the conversation? In the, can I my allowed sure. to yeah. that? Yeah. I feel, like, I feel like this is like one of the podcasts that I thought you guys, we would want to get into like do the Google Kremlinology for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all, it's, okay. the, the floor is yours, Bergen. <laughs> Well, I am open interested. to it. I think it's boring, but okay. <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm here for you, Mark. Lay, lay it Thanks. on me. What's Thanks. going on in the Duma over at well, YouTube? Well, no. Okay, Eric, you, you, raised, you raised an interesting point that I think I'm glad you picked up on this set of like, like they like they dealt with a lot of the, the stuff early. Like, you know, there was a controversy a couple of years ago where like some YouTuber was like, 
look at all these pedophile comments you have beneath videos of like girls doing gymnastics, right? right. And then like it was like this big freak out. Like that was like I, like it's in the Viacom lawsuit. There's like the YouTube uh, manual from like 2007. It's like telling their like telling their moderators how to handle content. And it's like avoid playlists of children for this reason. Like this was 12 years ago or 15 years ago, right? So um. Like, I think part of the problem for YouTube that, that's really interesting is like the, it, it doesn't have a lot of institutional knowledge in part because there's been a lot of turnover. And when Susan Wojcicki took over, it was a total surprise. She was moved. To, there's some new and interesting stuff about why she went there in the book, which I encourage people to read. And people thought Shashir was going to take over. So Salar Kamangar was the um, uh, not actual CEO, I learned. Only Susan's the, real, the only ever CEO of YouTube at Google. But Salar was the SVP who ran Google, who ran YouTube. And then Shashir was his number two. And, and Salar effectively was checked out um, in like starting in like 2012 or 2013. And so everyone expected Shashir to take over. I think including Shashir. <laughs> What's he do now? Uh, he runs Coda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buzzy Software. sort of uh, Excel You, you broke that story. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, were you just... Teeing that one up for me, for yourself. Oh, no, Eric, yeah, Eric no, has so no. many scoops. He doesn't yeah, remember all of the. Yeah, I've never even seen the product. To me, it's just like, oh, big number. I love big numbers. Yeah, Let me write about I it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like yeah. interesting. But anyway, so, um, so like, <laughs> so Susan takes over, and then like her management team just basically leaves. And then she had the unfortunate tragedy of like her first uh, VP of engineering dies of cancer, but like most of them left. They, they were like super loyal to Shashir and kind of pissed off about it. They got like layered in. They like thought this was like, here's this Google. Like there was this sort of interesting tension between like YouTube has its own like kind of like weird and like like hustling JB team that never gets enough love from Google. And then like these Google big shots come in and like she brought in like, you know, Neil Mahan, who's number two now. And like she brought in like senior Google people. And so people then... I think that's like a real, like basically she joins, um, she's quickly like gone on maternity leave and then like her entire staff, basically not entire staff, but like most of her leadership leaves. And I feel like that's a really, this what, is right what year are you talking? This is like, like early, late 2014, early 2015. And then like shit hits the fan. And to like, I think a lot of institutional knowledge, um, I'm not uh, drawing an excuse for the company necessarily, but like there was a lot of institutional knowledge that like just went out the door because there's been like such a high turnover and like around these key moments, like right before Trump. So that was my Google Gremlin analogy. How was that? What motivates Susan? Like what, what would you say? Like, is she, she's sort of like a get shit done for the Google higher up. She's sort of like a true believer in sort of the democratizing thing or like, is there any sort of like, I don't know, does she have like a worldview that she's bringing to these conversations or like do you have a sense of that the thing i will add to that too is one of the things that has fascinated me not as a youtube reporter but just as a media reporter watching this company is she seems fixated on making it as much of a media property as possible pushing through things like the youtube cable bundle which the world did not need at all red and and, and youtube red i mean she in one sense she's like an extension of this google founding arm and is like very much a product of silicon valley and then at the same time is like pushing through these like very old school bundles and not necessary subscription products that i find perplexing so yeah can, yeah we don't understand her <laughs> what's her deal <laughs> Uh, I think I talked to someone that quoted in the book, I think anonymously, which is a fun part about writing books. So you can do that. It's like I worked with her for like many years and can't tell you at all what she thinks. 
I mean, so one thing that she's been described is like very, um, she's like super willing to like lead trusting lieutenants and like let them dictate. So I think some of the strategy, Tom, to you is like a little bit of like Robert Kinsel and Neil Mohan have a lot of power. Robert Kinsel is their head of business. Neil is their head of product. Yeah. So, so like, I think there's some, there's like, you know, it just, I remember talking to an engineer who walked in and they were saying like, yeah, you so much as like, we got to like, clearly like you're tweaking the system to, to get watch time and what they call it, like valued watch time, which is like a really amorphous thing. But then when they were running YouTube originals, it's like YouTube originals was like a known drag on watch time because people just didn't watch it. This was like their Netflix competitor. They were trying to yeah, make original Netflix series. Competitor. They had Cobra right. Kai. Shit Cobra like Kai that. was their big success. And then they had like PewDiePie, which was their big mess. Yeah, but that was like a drag on it. It like didn't lead to a lot of watch time because there's not a lot of people that like the confusing thing for me, to be honest, and like Hank Green made made this point. So I can't get credit. It's like YouTube has YouTube premium, uh, which I pay for because one, I just was like grandfathered in from Google Play Music. But two, like I watch a lot of YouTube and there's no ads and it's amazing. And I just like YouTube music is just the same library of Spotify just without Joe Rogan basically. But you never hear YouTube talk about this, right? And like they have the world's largest army of influencers. Like if they wanted to and it made financial sense, like they would have YouTubers telling the audience, like subscribe to premium. But like clearly the margins on ads business uh, is better than premium, I think. I think there's a like general sense from from some people at the company and the answer you have to Tom that like Susan, like it's like less clear what her, her marching orders and strategy is. In, you know, like more recently, it's been like the four hours of responsibility, right? Like that's sort of basically like, don't regulate us. Like we're we're doing our job here. Like, don't leave us ever. Like she's she basically like her job. And I think it'll be really interesting to see like if she sticks around, but like the next five years when they're like less dealing with with sort of chaos, <laughs> her job. You think there'll been, be less chaos? Okay. And less chaos than like a, an advertiser boycott and like Trump. Sure. I mean, maybe Trump wins again, but like different kind of chaos. Sure. sure. So I think like her job, it's like hard to see what her priorities are because when she came on, uh, so much of it was derailed by uh, the amazing stories that I talk about in the book. And then like, I think so much her priorities then like writing the ship. But I do think like there's this really, I like super fascinating this tension between like what Susan thinks that YouTube is and what it actually is. Like, um, and and inside YouTube, they, they talk about like the brand versus the platform. Like the brand is like fuzzy, lovable, like, you know, like look at all their marketing materials, right? And the platform is the platform. And right, I have no idea what the brand is. I mean, there's a great point in the book where you talk about the uh, sort of marketing strategy meeting right in the beginning, where they're about to align with PewDiePie. The word has come down from on high. Like Susan said, okay, we're going to actually acknowledge this guy who's like, what, the biggest creator on our platform. And then like almost the exact same timing, uh, you know, this, this mass shooter sort of uh, tells people to subscribe to PewDiePie. I mean, I don't know, like... Who keeps saying the N-word. The guy's got a yeah. real N-word thing. Yeah, I mean, he definitely... I, I don't think he's done it in the past few years. No. Well, yeah, he's cleaned he's, up, right? Yeah, or what he's, sort he's, of, he's, Is he still a big YouTube he's, personality he's, or what's his uh, sort of... He's still, I mean, he's still big. He's definitely, he's definitely cleaned up. He's like, he stayed, he's like stayed below the radar. Uh, I think, I mean, I think he still draws in like millions of views per video. But all, all the PewDiePie army people. Mr. Mr. Beast has effectively supplanted him as like... This who's much more benign, right? Like, he's safer. He's safer. Oh I mean, my God. Yeah, YouTube. I mean, Mr. I mean, like, like I kind of regret not putting a lot of Mr. Beast stuff in there, but like, like Mr. Beast is fascinating to me. I care about the internal politics to the extent I want to understand like 
Yeah, why YouTube wasn't more worried about the rise of sort of this like coded sort of fascist all right thing that they were fueling when it seems like especially like the YouTube world is like sort of normie libs situation. So I don't, I'm like, oh, were they super into like freedom? Why did this happen? (laughs) Like why, why like, I'm not saying censor everybody I'm saying, but certainly don't tip the thumb in terms of getting people towards this sort of like wink, wink, 4chan sort of sensibility. I wrote the book to be at times very darkly comedic because I find that like story to be pretty hilarious in the sense of like this Google is like the quintessential like liberal values. Um, And they had this certainly like during the Obama era of like company, the only major platform run by a woman. They've come out in, in their market or like their internal presentations. I'm like, we should learn, lean more on gender equity because we have like a female CEO. They haven't, like, she's not Cheryl. Like, they haven't done that. And I think that's, that's the answer to some of the season. Like, she's a great, I think she's just like a private person. So like, but ambitious enough to want to run this thing. I mean, like, that was the question that people kept asking me. And I don't have an answer. Is like, why does she still want to do this job? Like, she has enough money. And like, it's just but not the political thing. Do you agree with my assessment that they were asleep at the wheel on, like, now now they're doing it? Or it's just... Well, I, so I think they were asleep at the wheel. I think there was just not, like, someone described it to me. It's like, it's not their world. Like, it's not, you know, they didn't, like, you don't, in Atherton, go back to Atherton again. You don't run into, like... <laughs> This, that's a brand of conservatism, right? Like it was, I think it was but, very- But in the book, sorry, just to fight with you a little bit. Like in the book, like you're very clear that, you know, the marketing people are super exposed to why bad, the bad stuff that's happening. Like there are people YouTube paid to be very aware. They, you say like, oh, they would literally make sure whatever innocuous tweet they're putting out doesn't yeah, invoke yeah, the yeah. like terrible thing on YouTube of the day. So the company is monitoring this stuff, right? The I mean, they is, should know. But yes, but the, all that, all those are like to like avoid, like their, 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 their strategy here is like avoid any problems. Right. Like, like avoid brand, like avoid. And like, I think so to, I think some of it is like, you know, this is around the, the regulatory issues. Like we, and, and they like, they were aware of the conservative bias complaints coming to them. And I think there is like a, Zex put it out loud. I think people at YouTube believe the same thing too. Like, our, our user base is not like us. Like, you know, it's just like Facebook has, I think, illustrated this, but I think it's the same thing at Google. Like, okay, we are like, we are, we're a liberal bubble. Like after the Breitbart got that video from the 2016 election at Google, which I think is really revealing and fascinating. And like Sundar Pichai, the Google CEO is like, hmm, like I need to look at the data more, but like clearly like we're not feeding people the right information. There was this really uh, like, and I think even after 2020, people are like, oh, wow, like the world is not like us. You know, who that this there's a whole world out there who use our product that are not like us. And so therefore we need to be like we like and I I PewDiePie is not the perfect example. Like Steven Crowder, like the conservative comic YouTube star is a, is a much better kind of example. Like Steven Crowder is very popular. Like are we we're like imposing our liberal values? Um, you know, I think there it's just it's an extension of the the same conversation they had when YouTube had its first controversy with abroad. Like, are we imposing American values on Thailand? And like, when we're when we're doing content moderation decisions globally, um, so I think that's is true. It's I've seen your face, Eric. Like, it's a little bit of a. Um, I mean, my response would be number one, not to act. Like, their bias is is towards not like Google not itself. Like, the search in a certain way is like a truth surfacing machine. Like, this is a company that. Is, yes. knows that it yes. needs to deliver you actual facts, not just yes. popular links. And then they run a video site and they're like, 
fuck it. Like, yeah. let's just like, <laughs> I mean, and, and now you're saying, well, okay, now they have news things on the homepage and stuff. They have Mr. Beast is their top, but like, it seems so late. Like I, I feel I like the tech class hates on reporters, but it feels like they're embracing the sort of like, what are you doing? Which we were saying like a decade ago or so, you know, it's like, what year is this? Like, right. And, and Crowder, by the way, Crowder is such a fascinating example for you to bring up Mark, because I know there was the issue where he was, you know, uh, this YouTube personality, Carlos Maza, who is kind of a journalist had put together a compilation of all the times that Steven Crowder had attacked him for being gay and I can tell you why I decided not to put this at length in my book, too. Oh, I'm def- I definitely want to hear that. But but um, so my, my recollection of that whole episode was that he had this very viral video showing all the times that Crowder had attacked him, trying to get this guy kicked off of YouTube at the very least or, or demonetized. And YouTube's response to this was like, we are aware of YouTube on YouTube criticism and attacks. <laughs> and we want to make sure that we do everything. We like they didn't make it specific to Crowder. They didn't make it specific They're to his cowards. homophobia. They didn't make it specific to the politics here. They were just like, this seems like it's an internecine YouTuber fight. We're going to do what we can to make sure everyone's nice to each other. They completely avoid the central part of the issue. And no one seems happy. Conservatives are still mad at YouTube. Liberals feel like they're, you know, being pussies. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, it's just like a classic Silicon Valley ball kick uh, or, or, you know what I mean? Like kicking the can and assuming that they've solved the problem. Yes. I think it was, it was a great example of them, like something that happens consistently where they like make a decision that ends up like feeling that one. But why did you keep it out or what did you, you decided? I mean, in part, like it was just like, since you both read the book so clearly, but there's a lot of confusing and overlapping storyline, which is part is like to capture just like how chaotic the world and, and multifaceted the world of YouTube is. At some point it was like, yeah, this, this came in, I think in like, page 350 or something. I was like, okay, this is like a little, like for readers to introduce these like storylines. Oh, sure. oh, okay. I thought you meant there was some like, I the story isn't what you believe. Right. Yeah, it turned yeah. out they were all lies. Crowder's actually a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I do think like, you're I like, oh, think, well, have you ever tried to write a, a long book? Yeah. <laughs> I do for readers. But I also yeah. like, you know, I think YouTube, certainly like YouTube's comms team, I think uh, one time at a point of, uh, this is fine for me to share. But like was like I'm not sure who we hate more, like who bothers us more, right? Like Crowder or, or Maza. I think that like what's wrong with Maza? I think just the way the tactics that he did it. I think really, um, and he also like I mean he's good on it. I mean like criticizes YouTube, but just like that's like it's like, really leans in. Like YouTube has this tolerance for like creators like being willing to criticize them up to a certain point. I think, and I think that was just like a. Uh, a nauseating headache, but like that. So Google, they don't know like who were... bothers them more: the like blatantly homophobic arch conservative right. guy who goes on campuses <laughs> right. like attacking gay people and like trans people, or the guy who's or like... the one that criticizes them and crumbles. I mean, like he, you this know, one, I have no like, trust in these people whatsoever. Like, so Crowder like has like you know like Ted Cruz come like he's like he's like you could Zuckerberg. Here's the here's the let me let Zuckerberg me, is accountable. Like the YouTube people are like cowards, right? Like. I mean, also, Crowder is such a fucking loser, too. Like, why would you anyway, be afraid sorry. of that? Let's let Mark respond. We've said a lot here. <laughs> I think Crowder is, a, it is interesting. And, like, there's a whole series of, of YouTubers that are fascinating because YouTube is, like, fundamentally, as a, as a product, the idea is, like, you can be on par with, like, TV, right? That's the selling pitch. Like, let's think about their commercial. Like, they are yeah. interested in selling advertisers. I'm like, this is better than TV. And so, like, they built this system where, like, oh, you can be like a TV anchor and like have your own news show. And then like Crowder's like, oh, I mean, listen, the clip that he was recently taken suspended from YouTube because he had Carrie, uh, Carrie Lake, right? Who's the like sort of um, election denying uh, in Arizona. She's like running for office in Arizona and said like the 2020 election was rigged. 
Like I, I here's my my understanding is like if she went on Fox News and said that, I doubt YouTube would take the right. down. YouTube well, now what YouTube says, what YouTube says is like you have in order like this is like fascinating. I have no idea how they actually like moderate this. And but like you know, the YouTube's like, well, on on a new show, like you're gonna be at expectation to like bring up the other side. So like, well, some people say that it wasn't stolen, right? I don't know. Crowder literally like gives her an applause during the video. Yeah, it seems like they're now that there's a democratic president, like they're like, oh, the power has shifted, so we'll yeah. I mean, but they're shift. also like, you know, like they're probably knowing that the like the Congress is gonna is gonna uh, flip. So I think on your accountability, I think you're absolutely right. I wouldn't, I'm not gonna echo your coward thing, but I'm gonna say like, you know, this is a company with, to remind people like that is controlled by two retired guys who like haven't made any decisions in years. And then every time Sundar is called before Congress, like YouTube barely comes up because there's so many other companies. Right. And don't, they release less data than Facebook about stuff, right? I mean, generally yeah, there's... Like, this, this summer they're putting out... I mean, part of it is just structural, like uh, video is harder to monitor <laughs> than text. I mean, it, and to be fair, the uh, I did find it a little interesting. You know, you, you lead with the... What, the shooting, but like yeah. it appears first on Facebook video. You know, I mean, it it also gets propagated on YouTube, but you know, yeah, yeah. all I these mean, problems was, are so interconnected. But yes, let me let me land on something that I think is since we go back to the moderation problem. Like so much, you, you know, YouTube is is they, they this thing called borderline content. And they're like these videos that don't break our rules, but we're gonna we're like we think that they're trouble like run up to them enough, and um, we're not going to like promote them in our recommendation. And so like it was, you know, I think that was. Uh, it, before Jan 6th, it was like any videos that, that, that for Trump or Trump supporters that was like calling the question the election were to the YouTube's response was like, we're not, we're not like our system is like, we're not putting in search. We're not putting in recommendations. You like really have to like go out of your way to find these things. Right. And that's like a very googly, like it's like the equivalent of like putting it on page 12 of the Google search. Right. Default. No that one makes sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. But then like, they, and then you looked at like Facebook's report. Facebook put out this transparency report. It's like number one website on Facebook by far of like YouTube.com, right? Like, and most of it's benign, but like, and YouTube will like have these, these hilarious press conferences where they're like, some of these videos like went viral on like a certain social network. Interesting. That's, that's a funny wrinkle. The companies don't coordinate as far as, I mean, like, I think they might coordinate, but like the reason they don't coordinate is because like they're under antitrust investigation, like. Imagine the cries of collusion if like the biggest tech companies in the world were coordinating around misinformation. Hmm. I was going to ask one more thing and then we can go to TikTok. Is that all right? Yeah. I, because we are talking about, you know, the media's coverage of YouTube and its various scandals. You have a chapter in your book about Elsagate, which if my, my summary of, of Elsagate is that this was people uploading videos of often dudes dressed up as Elsa from Frozen doing kind of bizarre, inexplicable things hanging out with children or just sort of like wandering around on set. And there became a whole firestorm controversy around Elsagate because there was this idea that they were grooming children. The people that were uploading these videos, which all seemed to be very SEO optimized, you know, gaming the systems that you could get as many views as possible, were part of a nefarious plot to convince children to like, I don't know, make themselves prey for predators. And, you know, to me, looking back on this whole episode, it seemed like hysteria. It was very hard to prove anything concrete about it. But I think it also, in my opinion, fed a lot of the same things that you see the right wing talking about now when it comes to grooming and and claiming that, you know, having a teacher that's gay or trans is secretly going to turn your child into, you know, child porn bait. 
as someone who covered it during the time and as you're writing your book, I mean, how do you reflect on Elsa Gate? Simple question to end the, end the podcast. On. Well, this isn't the end. This isn't yeah. the end. Yeah, well, yeah. I, um, briefly, I mean, I thought like there's a really interesting interview. I didn't get a lot of, but like I, I did get on the phone with Greg Chisholm, who ran this this uh, channel called Toy Freaks, which is like at the at the center of the attention, and it became this wildly popular show or channel called Toy Freaks, um, in which he had his two daughters and like got into some controversy because he did it like he would play prank, pranks on his daughters, and in some clips, like there was one that like his daughter was like pulling his teeth and there's a lot of blood and like from the video stills, it looked like she was, she was screaming with blood. If you go back and watch the video, it's like, you know, he's filming his daughter, like having a, a like a, a bloody tooth issue. It's like one, it's like weird to film your daughter and then upload that on a, like a right. for millions, millions of people. But like, you know, YouTube built this tool that incentivizes that. Right. So, but like the actual video, he like then calms her down and like tells her everything. It like seems to be like doing things that like, oh, this is like a, actually good parenting right so but they would so i think it is defense like these things were taken out of context and sense of like a screenshot of that and and then like he actually like there were just so many videos that like replicated his his conduct because they were so popular so anyway so yes tom i i think this was wrapped into uh and i i, I didn't get this in all in the book necessarily but you're you're totally right in the sense that like it's become this this like right wing uh bludgeon here about about um whatever scan like a complicated world of like you, you know, what's what's the word you use for the term of like um grooming children thank you yeah yeah uh at the same time like that that issue was less like yes it, it got a lot of attention in the media and like james bridal wrote this medium post that like exploded um but that that was less about um i think like in elsagate less about sort of the phenomenon of like people dressing up like kids or shooting kids in videos and that was more about like this automated right i'm just like content mill about that like making things for kids making them by machines like irresponsible sort of like called like industrial nightmare production right the other thing is that like to remember and a lot of these like youtube does respond to media youtube responds to advertisers and that crisis was because an advertiser like an ad agency went to youtube and was like what the hell is this video that i'm paying like 20 dollars cpms for right of like a kid in a bathing suit and that's what's like so i I think like I, I I will push back and defend our, our fourth estate a little bit. Um, but like yes, things were things were hysterical, but I think something that maybe was lost and 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 but like to uh, like that Elsa Gate was the thing that forced YouTube to make its most significant change. Right. And the like, monetization thing, and then we'll get to TikTok, is so important for all of this because on the one yeah. hand, I mean the monetization on the fact that creators get paid a significant share of ad revenue is part of the genius of YouTube and parts of what gets all these creators to do stuff. But then it should give YouTube far more culpability because they are creating yep. the financial incentive for these people to do yep. insane hacks of the human brain distributed by the Google algorithm paid for by brain. Google. It's like, yeah. it's like that you're creating this monster. You're paying them to do it. Like they're totally culpable for it. It's not just sort of like people do weird shit. It's like people do weird shit when they're chasing ad money from you. But anyway, so that's, YouTube has this creator fund. It's good in that creators can make a lot of money. It's bad in that it distorts human behavior in weird ways. I yeah. mean, TikTok is, seems to be like paying creators way less, but then they just have such a good distribution mechanism that's even more like whatever the human mind desires, we will feed it to you. I don't know. where where How does YouTube respond to TikTok or where do you see all this going? I mean, have you spent time on your YouTube app recently? Like. Right, they're, where they're much more vertical videos. I, we were just looking on Incognito well, mode. Shorts, it's, they like, yeah. they want you to watch shorts. Like, 
Uh, and they're going to flip the switch in, in the coming weeks, months on, on monetization for shorts. And there's an expectation there that like they'll that compete will... on sort of the paying creators against yeah, TikTok, which yeah, is I think cheap. Still, I think they haven't, like, from my understanding, they haven't figured out. I mean, Hank like, Green, who you mentioned earlier, has been huge on this. Yeah. yeah and like, I think there's some, so Hank is, is in the book and people that, that are interested in Hank. But I, I think the, like, the other thing that I find really interesting in the book is that YouTube did consider sort of the, like, the, they did consider the TikTok model. Like they wanted to revamp their entire payment system around like 2017, 2018 and pay based on engagement. And now it seems like they, they've said they're going to do with shorts is not. So YouTube, TikTok, I understand, pays on based on engagement from a creative fund. To Hank Green has said like, you know, that like the more creators you get there, the smaller each amount gets, right? Like that's Right. Well, just the share relative to the revenue TikTok is generating is clearly too small. It's not just the mechanism. It's also right. totally. just like the share of revenue. Yeah. And YouTube, so like YouTube will have, it's like unclear how they're going to uh, give, like, is is if the ad comes after my short, do I get that credit or does it come before my short? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's something they haven't solved yet as far as like which creator gets the money from hmm. which ad. And, and and then like, is it, it's like, will yeah, anyway, so that that's, I think they're leaning in uh, all in on shorts. Um, I think TikTok is really, like TikTok is their first sort of two, two-sided competition where it's both competing for, for uh, eyeballs and then for creators. Hmm. Uh, in, a, in like a, a meaningful way, uh, and and people always talk about how you know, like Instagram is sort of bending over backwards to compete with with YouTube, I th- or TikTok, and YouTube's too like uh, I think is savvier and uh, has less problems than Facebook, and so can um, be a, a bit more like judicious in its decision, decisions. But I, you know, it is like a they they totally abandoned the strategy. They totally pivoted to shorts in like a few amount of uh, in a few years. And it's so like the irony of like going back in early YouTube where it was like the big YouTube hits were like uh, Mr. Guitar Man making a one minute video, right? Like, and and then YouTube uh, trained us all to watch like 12 to 20 minute videos. <laughs> and now like shorts are back in. I mean, uh, there was this in, uh, really delicious tweet that YouTube deleted where it was like making fun of a creator for posting long videos. And I thought it was like the best. Right. I mean, if you talk to the kids today, they'll call YouTube long form which is like yeah. the ultimate irony and and maybe perfect encapsulation of where our attention span has devolved uh, as, yeah, as a yeah. species. And YouTube people will say like, oh, well, what TikTok figured out is like online, like it's easier to post a TikTok and a Vine, like Vine did this first. It's easier to post it. Like YouTube uh, at least creates incentives where like you don't just like f- shoot a quick photo on your phone and then upload it to YouTube, right? Because you know, discoverability is a big issue there. Like I could do that and then no one's going to watch it. Right. Like I could post a bunch of videos of like, I, I'm sure I could post this video on YouTube and then like, no offense. Where like TikTok, you're like, you can hit viral. Um, really, you know what it, it, it sounds to me identical to early YouTube when mm-hmm. like someone could come out of nowhere, like Jack Conde could come out but, of nowhere. But YouTube, and like, and let's wrap this up. But YouTube has been like, if you subscribe on YouTube, you reach your followers, right? In a way that well, on allegedly. TikTok, there's much less like, it's sort of a vanity. Right. Metric. I mean, it, TikTok is basically the discoverability algorithm made s- ultimately more powerful, like infinitely more powerful, right? There is like a subscribe, you know, intent element of YouTube baked into it, whereas TikTok is like, let the robots tell you what you want to see. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would think that, um, yeah, maybe, maybe YouTube's like, I'm sure, I'm sure they're trying to figure out a way to do that. Like, you know, with, like one thing they're exceptionally good at is getting like people to, and keep watching, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't doubt Google's ability to do that. I don't doubt their ability to monetize. 
uh, I doubt they're building to see unintended consequences. All right. In closing, Bergen, can you can you pull up YouTube.com right now and tell us what the algorithm is recommending to you? Can oh, we infer well, this, things? This is going to be, yeah, this is be my embarrassing. Um, can we infer things about who you are based on what the algorithm Well, thinks? this is my, like, I don't think I've shared with either of you my, like, uh, recent fixations. So when I grew up, I uh, I was um, obsessed with, with basketball and I've gotten really into NBA. So I just, like, watched basketball clips. Like like so 90s is, NBA highlights or, or what are we talking nah, about? No, more recent, more recent. Wait, what, NBA, what's coming up? Like NBA, I'm on fire. I, I do like Key and Peel. There's like a Steph Curry clip. There's a Spurs played beautiful game. Oh my God, Peter Thiel, America's Most Dangerous Billionaire Investor. <laughs> Documentary, that's great. It's like, do, do some work. Yeah, think about tech. There's some lame workout videos. Hmm. We're going to core. There's Phil DeFranco saying, YouTube is racist. Why the internet is furious after Corey X Kenshin. Phil DeFranco's fat. You guys should try to get Phil DeFranco on your show. Yeah, I, I liked him. I mean, I, it's been years, but he's, Sorry, he's, he's good at what Phil, he does. Yeah, I think he's like my only subscription. subscription. Uh, and then I was trying to get my wife to watch Better Call Saul. So there's a lot of like Better Call Saul content. Just watching recaps. I don't know. All it all seems pretty, pretty clean, Bergen. You sound like a guy who oh, likes yeah. his NBA. Mm-hmm. He likes his fitness. He likes, you know... Prestige he's television. omitting. Yeah. He's omitting all the Elsa videos. Yeah, that, I was about to I'm say. Admitting, I'm admitting all the all the weird. Uh, right, it's just like more like dank meme reviews and Crowder attacks. You know, lib college student. I do some of all that. I do not. some of that on my, you know, my my uh, uh, Finsta on your YouTube. Finsta yeah. on your on your YouTube. Um, my YouTube. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, Mark, uh, thanks so much for joining. The book, as a reminder, is called "Like, Comment, Subscribe: Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination." It's a, it's an excellent read to all tech reporters uh, and and people who want to know more about uh, the world <laughs> that YouTube has created. So highly recommended. Uh, thanks so much for joining, man. Thank you. We got a run of Bloomberg people. So nice, nice to see a former uh, desk neighbor. That's super fun. Thanks for letting us talk about Google Kremlinology, Eric. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.